freak terrorizes. My life is really complex. Wait till they get a load of me. I'm telling you, man, a giant bat. Every punk in this town is scared stiff. You know what they say? They say he can't be killed. They say he drinks blood. I just gotta know, we're gonna try to love each other. I'd like to. But he's out there right now. I've gotta go to work. I'm Batman. Welcome to Sweet Play Podcast. This is your host with the most, Mike Mac Masunas. How's everybody doing out there today? I am doing great. I'm excited for today. I'm finally, finally starting the Batman series. And uh, you're probably asking yourself, what's up, Mike? Why are you doing Batman 89 again? Didn't you review this thing? In fact, I did, actually. About a year ago in May, I reviewed Batman 89. But... Things have changed. Uh, You know, back then, I had just finished recording the Back to the Future series with Tim and the Smallville uh, episode where Andrew came on for the first time. And uh, then I didn't have a co-host anymore. And I just kind of was like, what movie do I do? So I just randomly picked Batman 89. I didn't put a whole lot of work into it. And I didn't really have a great episode on that one. It was fun, but I, I really didn't. I was not very happy with that episode. And it's been a year. A lot of changes have happened. We have uh, STL Nation that we didn't have before. We have, you know, John the Mailman, John the Music Man. We have uh, Jameson the Great. We have so many different people now in the STL Nation that we really didn't have before. And uh, we got some great emails on this episode that we never would have gotten before. And it makes perfect sense to start off a Batman series with the original movie. And I'm not talking the TV series movie either. This is strictly the films. You know, Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. And then going into the Christopher Nolan Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and finally ending with The Dark Knight Rises. Now, uh, if you didn't know already, I did record Batman and Robin already with Jason. However, uh, we had a really fun time together on that episode, and we talked it over, and we thought that the episode was good enough that it was well worth the wait. So I am going to release it in order, because originally I just said that if I was to record Batman and Robin whenever I was to do that, I would just release it then. However, uh, it makes perfect sense to go in order. And, uh, and it was such a good time. And uh, as a bonus, though, uh, as a little tease, every episode going forward, this episode, Batman Returns and Batman Forever, I'm going to give you a sneak clip of, uh, of the upcoming episode for Batman and Robin. Just kind of give you a little tease of what you have to look forward to when that episode actually gets released. A lot of good times, good jokes, uh, a lot of good conversation. I'm very proud of that episode. It was very good times. So uh, I'll give you guys a little tease of that. You can always catch that at the end of each episode after the Music Spotlight song. And don't be fast-forwarding right now to that because you need to hear the rest of this episode. But uh, all in all, though, um, this means a lot to me to do this series because if there was no Karate Kid, this uh, this would be the ultimate, the ultimate movie for me. Not necessarily Batman 89, but... This character, uh, in all reality, Batman is my number one favorite fictional character in all of history. No doubt about it. I mean, The Karate Kid may be my all-time favorite movie, 
But Batman is my all-time favorite character, no doubt about it. And that's why this series means so much to me. Uh, I have a lot of love for this series, and I have a lot of hate for this series. And that hatred has grown over the years for valid reasons, which I'm happy to explore. And this uh, episode, along with the upcoming three episodes... And to kind of clarify a little bit, you know, I first started watching this movie when I was 10 years old. And you know, when you're 10, you have a certain opinion about a film. And as time grows, uh, as time goes, and as you get older, you relook at things in a different way. And that's essentially how this story has gone. And most of all, since the Christopher Nolan films have come out, I finally realized what a steak tastes like. You know, the, I consider the Batman series to be a hamburger, and then once the Nolan series came out, it was a steak. Because when you're a kid and you have hamburgers, you love them, you think they're great, nothing could beat hamburgers. And then the moment you try a steak, you realize how much you've been missing out on in life. And that's exactly how I would define this Batman series. Is Batman 89 through Batman and Robin are, are a hamburger that uh, eventually gets worse? And then you get the, the, the most expensive New York strip steak there is when it comes to Christopher Nolan series. So I'm, I'm very excited to be covering this series. And like I said in previous episodes, these episodes will be released to you uh, in time for The Dark Knight Rises. Now next week I am on vacation, which is why you're getting two episodes this week. You're getting Batman 89 tonight. And then this weekend you'll get Batman Returns, which I've gotten some emails on Batman Returns. So you guys are doing good. Next week there will be no episode. So to make sure things stay on track, the following week will be the release of Batman Forever and then finally Batman and Robin. And then it'll just be one week Batman Begins and then the week that The Dark Knight Rises come out will be the release of The Dark Knight Rises. And then uh, the following week will be my review of The Dark Knight Rises and it's going to be good time. So everything is on schedule, but like I said, no matter what happens, I will make sure I get these episodes out to you. So before we get rolling into the review of Batman 1989, let's get into some movie and music news. The most important piece of news I have for you, both of them just released today. Uh, We actually got an exclusive trailer to The Dark Knight Rises uh, released by Nokia, which Nokia is a telephone company, uh, you know, their cell phone maker. And it was a new trailer. It was about two minutes and 20 seconds long. Showed some excellent footage. The best part about this trailer, though, hands down, the best part about this trailer was the music. Because if you notice, the previous trailers have been, uh, the music kind of builds and builds and builds. This one, from the moment the trailer starts, you got the non-stop, crazy, uh, adrenaline-rushing music. 
It's excellent. I love it. And then we get to see Bane, you know, in the Batcave. Hello, Mr. Wayne. And then you actually get to see the fight between Bane and Batman. Uh, it was really, really good stuff. There wasn't a lot of Catwoman in this one. It was mostly Batman and Bane in this trailer. But it was so awesome. I loved the trailer. I thought it was great. And, uh, and I highly recommend you go check that puppy out. Now, in other crazy news... Uh, MTV reported today that the Dark Knight Rises Midnight Tickets is going for over 150 bucks, And it, it essentially is saying how much, how important is the Dark Knight Rises to you? Would you pay $150 to be the first to see the conclusion? Because essentially what it's saying is, is that scalpers are going on eBay and they're going on Craigslist and they are selling the Dark Knight Rises. Uh, the, most, the, the thing that's going the most is the trilogy where you're going to see Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, those are going pretty crazy. And the biggest reason why these things are probably selling so much is nobody wants to be spoiled on this film, which why would you want to be? And, uh, you know, the thing is, you got to go on you gotta go on Internet Blackout, man. When it comes towards that time, my phone's off, my computer's off, and it ain't being turned on until I go see The Dark Knight Rises because so many stupid people out there just love to spoil stuff whether it be on Twitter maybe be on Facebook they don't know that they're spoiling maybe they're doing it on purpose either way that is what their object is and and the reason why they're they think they can sell this is because they know that people don't want to be spoiled and uh, most people don't want to wait the extra day or two which uh, I'm actually waiting I'm not seeing it until Saturday but uh, that's essentially this the crazy story going on is uh, these tickets could sell almost up to three hundred dollars so the question remains, would you be willing to pay that much money for the Dark Knight Rises Midnight showing if you couldn't get your hands on one, if it had been sold out? So just let me know if that's something that you would do. I know uh, over at the Flix podcast, they just asked that question, would you be willing to blow $150 on a ticket? And most of the people are saying no, which is, which is understandable, of course. Now, uh, just to give you a little heads up, uh, Jason on the uh, Film and Focus Facebook page had mentioned how he's a little more excited for Amazing Spider-Man, and, and we talked about that, which, of course, you won't really be able to hear that until the episode of Batman and Robin gets released, but uh, he did give me a little preview of his thoughts on that, and the reviews are starting to come in for The Amazing Spider-Man. Some of them are mixed. The, the majority of them, I'd say about 85% of them are on positive, and then the rest of them are mixed on the film. And it's kind of funny that they're coming out now. I kind of thought it would take just a little bit longer for it to come out, but hey, that's the that's the lifestyle and, and the time of age we live in where everything is fast, 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 fast. Now, uh, have you guys seen the poster of Taken 2? Uh, on the poster, it's got Liam Neeson kind of sitting there, and uh, on the top it says, first they took his daughter, now they want to try to take him. Uh, I'm excited to see Taken 2. You know, you would never guess Liam Neeson is as old as he is. He's like in his 60s. But I'll tell you, there's just some guys that age really well, and he's one of those guys that does not look his age, and it's surprising the amount of action that this guy can pull off. So hats off to you, Liam Neeson. You know, you are awesome in Batman Begins, and uh, you've really taken off. Your career has been great, and I am very excited to see Taken 2. It looks like it's going to be pretty awesome. So uh, go check out that poster if you have not seen it already. Now, in the rumor mill of, uh, of TV, uh, they are talking about rebooting the Twilight franchise when this last one comes out. 
And of course, the backlash has been ridiculously crazy, especially from all the women out there that just love and adore uh, this thing. But uh, I, I really could care less one way or the other. It's been interesting, to say the least, on how the fan reaction has been to a possible uh, reboot of the franchise. And Josh Harnett is actually... Um, there's rumors that he's going to be the new Daredevil. And, uh, you know, I, I'll take that as it is. I don't really care one way or the other if he is or is not. You know, I know they were talking about rebooting Daredevil, and it just hasn't really taken off yet, so we shall see. Now, the cool thing is is that uh, for The Man of Steel, the new Superman movie coming out next year, officially as of yesterday, Hans Zimmer has agreed to do the score of the film. And if you don't know who Hans Zimmer is, he is the guy that also uh, does the score for Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. And it's flipping. This guy's amazing. I mean, to me, he's probably second to Danny Elfman. So this guy's really, really good. I love his stuff. And I'm excited to see the fact of he is uh, he's going to be doing the score to The Man of Steel, which is pretty awesome. So... And uh, I also heard reports that Christopher Nolan is actually calling nearly all the shots on Man of Steel, which is kind of another cool thing because, uh, you know, you'll notice when uh, when we talk about it in our Batman and Robin episode, one of the things we mention is how Man of Steel has to work. It cannot fail one bit. And uh, more details on that in that episode, but it's, you know, it looks like they're taking the right precautions needed to uh, to kick Man of Steel in the, the right the right direction and uh, get it out to the most people and uh, and just please the 99% majority of the Superman fans out there. So it looks like it's going to be pretty awesome and I I'm excited to see where it goes. And the final piece of movie news is uh, you guys know that uh, I reviewed the Ninja Turtles series. It was really the first series that STL Nation reviewed. And and it was a very uh, favorite, fun series uh, to review. A lot of things were born out of that uh, series review, uh, including STL Nation and the music spotlight and all that other good stuff in regards to like sound clips and stuff. So, needless to say, I told you guys whenever I get some Ninja Turtles news, I would give you heads up. So, as we all know, the the Teenage Alien Ninja Turtles uh, is not actually supposed to come out now. Uh, It's being, uh, due to script issues, uh, the reboot has been put on hold, uh, which is kind of funny. Um, The actual um, quote-unquote from Michael Bay is or the producers are saying paramount says that it's pushing back the picture start date by 10 weeks in order to cut the budgets 10 million to 20 million down to uh, 125 million that means that the release date will also be pushed back from christmas 2013 to may 16 2014 initially paramount hired the iron man writing team of uh art markham and matt holloway to uh for close to 1 million to revamp the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the fast-tracked live-action feature film to be released the summer of 2012. At the time, the studio was looking at this as the next huge franchise like Transformers, then the Jonathan Jonathan, uh, Latzman direct live-action CGI combo release date was pushed to Christmas 2013. Now, 
Paramount tells me it's pushed back to May 16, 2014, presuming that the studio's cost target is achieved. So two years until Vanilla Ice wraps with the Turtles again, he is in it, right? And that's kind of the the funny thing. So so yeah, uh, Ninja Turtles is being pushed back, and uh, you know, if it never comes out, I could care less. But if it does come out, I do want it to be done right. So let's get into some music news. Now, the two biggest stories this week when it comes to music news, uh, just yesterday, uh, it was reported that Vanilla Ice was killed in a car crash. Now, you guys know that I love the Iceman. I've played his music plenty of times on uh, on STL. Uh, eventually, we'll get the Cool as Ice Guilty Pleasures review. Uh, recently, Jameson over at Movie Mojo Monthly was going to pick that as his Guilty Pleasure, but I totally stole it from him. So, there's a lot of Iceman love on STL. So, needless to say, uh, and that's my boy. Uh, which is the new Adam Sandler film that came out this weekend and Vanilla Ice was in it and just a lot of people are just saying well they may not have liked the movie but they liked how he was in there because he plays a parody of himself and uh, I guess because of that uh, good reviews people made a fake story that he died in a car accident and of course he's on Twitter talking about hey how can I be dead if I'm on Twitter retweeting all this stuff and he actually found the story and posted it for all the fans to read so Vanilla Ice is not dead all you Vanilla Ice lovers out there or haters I hate to tell you but he is not dead for all the ones that are lovers of vanilla ice good news for us the man's not dead awesome now and there was some tragic news though um there was actually uh, a radiohead concert that took place and uh what happened is the stage collapsed and one person died and three were injured stage collapses are so horrible you know recently sugarland had that happen i believe it was about seven or eight months ago and uh and it actually caused a few people to die and there was just a big benefit ceremony for that. And just, you know, the thing with music is, is a lot of people don't understand the amount of work that goes into it. And I'm not talking like the actual artists making music. I'm talking like for concerts, the behind the scenes stuff, the amount of people it takes to be stage crew. You know, I used to be stage crew for my church back, uh, you know, in my younger in my younger years. And I'll tell you, you had to get there like two hours before uh, people would show up and you wouldn't be able to leave until two hours later I mean we'd have a crew of like 15 to 20 people and this was just for a church so can you imagine what it would have been like for a humongous uh, concert you know that you got to pay money for there's probably 50 to 100 people that are doing lights and and wires and sound it just it takes a lot of work to do a concert and touring so unfortunately the stage is is one thing that can be accessible to collapse and when it happens it's such a horrible thing because we all know everybody's front row those people are the ones that are going to get killed and you just hope when you go to a concert that the stage isn't going to collapse and you know you could be going home in a body bag so it's just it's just a horrible thing and uh and it's just a shame but uh it's something to just keep in mind when you go to a concert is just you know if you see stage people you know give them some props say hey thanks for all the hard work you do because if it wasn't for what you do, these shows wouldn't be able to go on. So just give a little respect to those people. If you ever go to a concert and you run into them, even the, the sound engineers or the people behind, just say, hey, I just wanted to thank you for what you do. You know, and, and just by that, it can really change someone's attitude, especially if they're having a bad day. So uh, let's get into some TV news. You have too much TV. That's what my mother tells me. Okay, so in TV news this week, um, Charlie Sheen, uh, he's going to be doing a new show. It's called Anger Management, which if you remember, 
Uh, Anger Management was originally a Jack Nicholson and Adam Sandler film, but he's actually making a TV show called Anger Management, and he said it's going to be a swan song. It's going to be his last gig uh, as an actor doing that, so anybody who had uh, Major League 3 wanting you know movie to come out isn't going to happen now. So... Uh, if you are a fan of Charlie Sheen, which you know you know that I am, just not the new Charlie Sheen, uh, his new show will be his last. Now, good old Arsenio Hall. Man, I used to love this guy. I used to watch him all the time. For me, there wasn't no Jay Leno. It wasn't no David Letterman. For me, it was Arsenio Hall. Uh, I heard a lot of things about this guy, whether they just say he's a real jerk-off or, or, you know, I always thought that he just kept it real tells you how it is and uh, wasn't afraid to ask you questions i've always had respect for arsenio hall i've always loved the show so he's going to be launching a new late night show i'm pretty excited about it uh, we'll see how it all turns out but you know i i don't have any problems i am going to be checking it out uh, you know hopefully a lot of people will and uh and they'll be able to get back in the game uh, but uh, I don't know, man. I, I just I dig Arsenio Hall. I think he's cool. So, and then also, if you didn't know, on the X Factor, Britney Spears and Demi Lovato have been added to the X Factor, which you know Paula Abdul had uh, left last season. So it'll be interesting to see Britney Spears and Demi Lovato on there. You know, another show that I, I've recently watched was Duets because Kelly Clarkson's on there, and to me. Uh, Kelly Clarkson is the number one best thing to come out of American Idol as far as a winner goes. I mean, Chris Daughtry is my favorite American Idol, but he, quote unquote, wasn't a winner. But Kelly Clarkson is the, you know, was the season one winner, and she has amazing music, always a good time, and she was awesome on the episode I watched. She did like I Love Rock and Roll. Uh, it's a, it's a pretty interesting show. You uh, these famous people like Kelly Clarkson and the the lady from Sugarland. And uh, they just pick these people to sing with. And uh, it's a pretty interesting show. I think it's on like NBC or ABC, whatever. It's supposed to be like a, a quote-unquote voice competition. You know, like The Voice on NBC. You know, like another sh- game, uh, music show like that. But it's pretty cool to see that Britney Spears and Demi Lovato are going to be on uh, on X Factor. I may actually check that out. And uh, the last bit of TV news for you. If you are watching the TV show The Killing, uh, on the season finale, it is going to reveal who the killer is. So be on the lookout if you are watching that TV show. Uh, go ahead and and, uh, and you should be excited to know that you're going to get some uh, some rapage to the uh, season finale. And then also True Blood Creator says the next season is going to be his last, which all the creators usually have to uh, to move on so no big deal there so that is it guys for uh, movie music and TV news so uh, let's get into the review of uh, Batman 
I didn't ask. I have given a name to my pain. What are you? I'm Batman. My life is really ah! complex. Winged freak terrorizes. Wait till they get a load of me. All right, Batman 89 time. And, uh, you know, this movie is uh, probably the most influential movie for me outside of The Karate Kid in my life. You know, if it wasn't for this movie, um, I would not be into the amount of geekness and comic book movies that I am. I was 10 years old when this came out. I was born in 1979. This came out in 1989. So I was 10 years old. And, you know, in 1989, there was a lot of movies that came out. You know, we had Lethal Weapon. We had, uh, I think it was Lethal Weapon 2. We had Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. We had Back to the Future 2. We had Ghostbusters 2. We had The Karate Kid 3. We had Major League. We had some Pet Cemetery, Tango and Cash. Most of all these have been covered already on this episode. But, of course, the number one movie was Batman. And think about it. This was the movie that changed everything. You know, the only superhero movie we had was Superman. But Superman and Batman are two completely different people, okay? Superman is the ultimate Boy Scout and Batman is the ultimate Dark Knight, okay? Key word there, Dark Knight. Not supposed to be like the ultimate Boy Scout like Superman. So, you know, this movie, you know, changed everything because in everybody's eye, Batman was a joke. In the 1960, there was the TV show, The Adam West. Uh, it was just, you know, of course, as a kid, I loved it. And I really didn't know 
better in regards to if Batman, what Batman was supposed to be. You know, I just had the TV show to go off of. So when this movie came out, I was like, wow. You know, as a kid, I always said Batman should be black. And when I saw he was going to be black, I was like, wow. And it was just so the sets were great. The music was great. It was just like, wow. It was just so real to me. And uh, and it changed everything. At that moment in time, uh, any Batman collecting I did had officially skyrocketed. Uh, so for me, for you guys, it was probably Star Wars was your geekness. For me, it was Batman. Uh, to this day, I have over 500 different Batman items, everything from the Batman 89 all the way up to, you know, the Dark Knight Rises. I just, my collection is humongous. I actually have the Michael Keaton mask. Uh, my dad bought me, I paid like $150, $200 for it. So I still actually have that. Uh, it's pretty cool. A uh, lot of great stuff. And you know, uh, I started picking up all the comics to Batman. And uh, you know, I really learned the history of Batman. And uh, and as time has gone on, and I've learned the true origins of Batman, this movie really pisses me off, uh, to say the least. Because there's a lot of mistakes in this movie, especially uh, after you've seen the Batman Begins in the Dark Knight, it's just like it really tells you uh, the kind of movie, uh, what's wrong with this series. Now, let's just say Batman 89 was the only Batman movie in existence. I mean, to me, it would be probably my number two favorite film of all time because I just, I've watched it hundreds and hundreds and just tons of times. I mean, like I said, this movie had so much influence over me. And as a kid, as I said, there's so much different. You just look at things so differently as a kid than you do as an adult. So when I review this, I'm going to talk about some of the things I thought as a kid and how I feel about it now. But before we even get into the review, we got to talk about the marketing campaign. I mean, this movie, just a simple logo. I mean, it was Bat Crazy, Bat Mania. I don't think there's been a better marketed film than this movie was. I mean, there was people walking around with... Uh, uh, bat symbols in their head, there were shirts, there was underwear, there were keychains. I mean, there was actually people uh, that had retainers with the bat symbol. I mean, the bat symbol was everywhere. You couldn't go anywhere in 1989 without seeing the bat symbol. It was just done so great. You know, and at the time, on 40 million bucks, it was the most uh, expensive movie ever made at the time they took such a huge gamble and there was years of development on this tim burden had started working on it after peewee's big adventure however they wouldn't allow the film to be greenlit until the success of beetlejuice and uh, due to the fact of uh, once they knew beetlejuice was a success then they greenlit and let tim burden take over uh as the director of batman i mean this thing took about 11 years to officially take off and thank god they didn't turn into a comedy because that was the original intention was to make it a comedy with like uh, uh bill murray in it directed by ivan reitman uh robin williams I mean, it would have been just horrible, horrible, horrible. So, uh, you know, the TV show really tainted the name of Batman because, you know, in the comics, when Batman first came out, Batman was really dark. And then uh, it was kind of like a a depression area where the comics code had to change and they had to make uh, Batman not be so dark. So that's where you started to get the more supernatural aspect of Batman to try to make it uh, as kid-friendly as possible and not make it dark anymore. 
So it wasn't until Frank Miller made The Dark Knight Rises where Batman was taken seriously again. Uh, because there was actually a period of time during the war where they weren't allowed to make comic books. You know, actually comic books almost got banned at one point. But it, there was just a very long period of time where Batman just could not be dark like he was. So thanks to Frank Miller, Dark Knight Returns. It changed the face of, uh, of Batman. And, uh, and that's how we got this movie all in all about 11 years later uh, after that comic came out, roughly. And boy, did we... Did we get a really good one? So uh, let's talk about uh, the overall plot of the film. So as you know, movie came out in 1989. Now, top billing goes to Jack Nicholson. You know, as a kid, I had a problem with this. As an adult, I finally realized why Jack Nicholson got top billing because he was huge. He was, you know, gigantic. Uh, people didn't want to go see this for Michael Keaton. They wanted to go see it over Jack Nicholson. So at, now it makes perfect sense because in my mind as a kid, I was like, well, why does Joker get top billing over Batman if Batman is the is the main you know star of the film? Now it makes sense. You know, when you look at the poster, it's just got the Bat logo on it, which it looks sick. It's like this gold, uh, shiny... Uh, it, you know, it's the emblem, as you know, black and gold, but it's just so shiny and it just looks so amazing. I just love the Batman 89 logo. Now, the funny thing is, um, there was filming that took place, uh, in October of 88 through January 89 and the budget was originally 30 million, but it was escalated to 48 million. There was actually a writer strike that happened, which, uh, the original writer was forced to drop out. So there was actually uncredited rewrites that was performed by the guy that helped write Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice. So like the first half of the film is word for word, the original screenwriter's, uh, story, which is Sam Hamm. And, uh, you know, like, of course, if you watch the special features, he's the one that says, you know, I never let Vicky Vale in the Batcave. It wasn't me. So you'll kind of know us why the ending gets kind of uh, convoluted a little bit and kind of messed up. And that's just because of the rewrites. But all right. So all in all, let's get into the overall plot of the film. Now, Batman is actually not an origin story for Batman. Uh, you would think that it would be. However, they Tim Burton Tim Burton kind of changes it around and makes Batman established in the beginning of the film. You actually get kind of tricked a little bit because you see uh, this husband and wife uh, and this kid. They actually get mugged in an alley, but you know the parents don't actually get killed, so you get a little confused, and then all of a sudden you see Batman. So I, I really like that trick in the beginning and then of course this is kind of uh supposed to be like a timeless type of movie where you feel like you're in the gangster time like the the 40s and 50s but yet you have uh technology of 1989 in there so that's what's kind of cool about it uh so really in the beginning batman just is he's established uh he's kind of secretive kind of like an urban legend uh and then jack napier who is uh, jack nicholson who ak will be the joker uh, he is uh, working for this crime boss named Carl Grissom, played by Jack Palance, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, now, Jack is actually the second in command. Uh, of course, he has a sadistic sense of humor. Now, uh, despite the efforts of the newly elected district attorney, Harvey Dent, yes, you heard that right, Harvey Dent, uh, we don't get Two-Face in this film. However, Harvey Dent is played by the good old Billy D. Williams, which, uh, Star Wars fame, he was uh, Lando in the Star Wars films. 
And really, he only signed on this film because he wanted to be a bad guy. So he thought in the sequel he'd get to be uh, Two-Face. So that's really why you get to see him in this film. And then we have Police Commissioner Gordon, played by Pat Hingle, who doesn't do a very good job at all. Uh, And the police department is actually corrupt. Now, uh, there's this reporter in the film called Alexander Knox, who's played by Robert Wool. And there's also a photojournalist named named Vicki Vale, which... Originally, as a kid, I didn't know she was in the comics, but at one point she was in the comics and then taken out. And then once the movie came back, then she was reintroduced, which uh, if you played the Batman Arkham games, she's not actually in Batman Arkham Asylum, but she's in Batman Arkham City. And she's played by Kim Basinger. So they investigate the rumors of Batman himself terrorizing city criminals at nighttime. Now, uh, Vicki Vale and Alexander Knox, they attend this benefit at uh, Wayne Manor. Uh, where Bruce is taken in by uh, by Vicky Vale, you know he just can't. He's just got the hots for. Her. He just can't explain it. Uh, but at the same time, though, while he's trying to get, you know, he, he gets kind of acquainted with Alexander Knox and Vicky Vale. Uh, you also find out at the same time that Jack is going to raid this place called Axis Chemicals, which is looks very flippin' sweet in the Batman Arkham City game. Uh, and it's it's set up really is what it is uh, because the police get tipped off uh, that it's going to be robbed. And uh, Napier realizes that he got tricked by his boss. And the reason why is because he's having an affair with, uh, with this woman. So, you know, I guess it, it makes perfect sense, right? So needless to say, we get a really cool scene in Axis Chemicals. Jack trying to escape the cops and everything like that. Now, uh, there's this big old gunfight going on. Of course, Batman arrives and he attacks uh, all the henchmen that Jack had. And uh, at one point, Jack fires at Batman. Uh, and Batman has these really cool deflective bulletproof you know like type of uh gloves and the bullet actually ricochets and hits napier in the face which causes his smiles that you see and then he gets uh toppled over this like large vat of nasty chemicals now uh batman actually has a hold of him and uh batman's not supposed to be a killer so we're going to get into that in just a little bit but however you look at the scene whether you think batman let him go or he just slipped uh, he falls into the bat of chemicals and he'll shortly arrive to become the Joker, which he'll have like uh, perma white. Uh, he'll have, you know, green hair and lips dyed red. So and of course, he needs plastic surgery to fix uh, his lips from getting jacked up, which by doing that surgery causes his face to have a, an, a 100% smile the whole time. So Joker starts to terrorize the city and he does that by taking chemicals and because he's like this really smart guy in chemicals and stuff like that. And what he does is he puts it in these hygiene products. For example, uh, you can uh, you can do hairspray, but you can't mix hairspray with prefer or with perfume or or cologne or something like that because you'll die. It's the combination that kills you. It's not the necessary product. Uh, and what it does is it kind of laughs you to death and then uh, you have like this grin on your face after you die. So everybody's thinking Batman is a terrorist just like Joker. But uh, Batman actually is able to figure out the combination, get it to the press, and save everyone's life. 
Uh, and he does that after this really cool confrontation between him and uh, and the Joker. Now, he does actually find out, which I absolutely hate this, which I'll get into in a little bit, that uh, the Joker is the person that killed his parents. And uh, it's, it's totally ridiculous and stupid, but we'll get into that in just a little bit. And, and then to top it all off, Alfred lets Vicky into the Batcave, which... Oh, it was another problem we'll talk about in a little bit. But that's how Vicky Vale finds out that Bruce is Batman. And uh, they have a little smoochy smooch talk. But he's like, you know what? I got to go to work and I got to take the Joker out. Then we get the real cool crazy ending that either you love or you hate. Uh, what happens is Batman destroys the uh, Axis Chemicals factory where Joker used to make the poisons. Uh, Joker actually retaliates to Batman. He holds this parade, making everybody think that they get all this money. But what it's doing is, uh, what he's doing is he's he's luring in the citizens of, of Gotham so he can kill them with this lethal gas he has. And Batman has his, uh, his Batwing, foils the plan, takes the balloons that were causing it. And then Joker gets, gets pissed off, kidnaps Vicky Vale, and takes her to the top of the cathedral, which looks exactly like the church you see in The Crow at the very end of the film, which I'm like 100% sure that's the same place. So Batman goes to fight Joker and save Vicky. Uh, really cool fight scene between a bunch of thugs, good stuff. And then you realize that uh, each one of them is responsible for the other person's transformation. For example, you know, Joker made Batman and Batman made Joker, you know, because Joker killed his parents and he put Joker in the bat of chemicals. So each person made each other. Now, Joker's about ready to escape. Uh, he's got this helicopter, but Batman shoots a grappling hook to his leg, which uh, is attached to this gargoyle. And then the Joker dies, which is... You know, really the movie that started off where you got to kill your enemy at the end. And I'm, I'm not talking it's the first movie because, you know, we had Die Hard at that point and Lethal Weapon. I'm talking like in superhero films. This is like one of the, if not the first superhero film that killed off your main antagonist in the film. Which therefore created the the rolling cycle of them doing that in, in other superhero films. Not all of them, but... 90, 90% of them. And then at the end, uh, Commissioner Gordon reveals that the bat signal, uh, you know, that the, there's peace now in Gotham and we can just call on Batman if we ever have a problem. And then you see the movie really end. So, so yeah, that's, that's the basic plot of the film. All right, now, here's the thing with this film. As I said, I've seen this numerous, numerous times. And especially after watching uh, Batman Begins, which is my number two favorite film of all time. If, Karate Kid's number one, and Batman Begins is number two. Yes, I like Batman Begins over The Dark Knight. I have my reasons for it, which I'll get into when I get to that review. Uh, Batman Begins is the greatest Batman film, in my opinion. Uh, most people will argue that it's The Dark Knight. I'm cool with that opinion. You get no arguments from me. For me, it's Batman Begins. And especially after a movie like Batman Begins, you go back to looking at this movie and you really see the flaws. Now, don't get me wrong. This movie came out in 1989. It's really old. At the time, it was it was the greatest superhero film. I mean, it, it really only in competition was Superman. So you had 50% loved Superman the movie. The other 50% loved Batman, you know, the Tim Burton film. I remember at one point, uh, they had so much crazy marketing for this when it hit video because back then, which if you don't believe me, videos were like $100 on VHS. I kid you not. 
you walk into a video store, you wanted to buy the movie, it was $99.99, okay? But Batman was special because you could go to like Osco Drugs or uh, or Kmart and you'd see the movie for $4.99. I remember stores having uh, a bidding war, you know, like each one trying to outdo the other one on how cheap they could sell this movie. I mean, Pizza Hut would give away pizzas or whatever. I mean, it was crazy, crazy. I love the marketing of this film. I mean, no doubt about it. This, is, oh, this has been my all-time favorite superhero film until Batman Begins came out. I mean, it was just... I have so much good memories with this film, and now that I've watched it numerous times, I'm you know, and I'll get into what some of my problems are with the film. But I have a lot more good things to say about the film than I do the bad stuff. Now, I want to keep something straight here. The rest of this series goes down the toilet. Batman Returns is a complete turd. Uh, Batman, uh, Batman Forever. We'll get into that, and then of course we all know how horrible Batman and Robin is. This is the best film you're going to get out of the next four. Batman 89. I mean, essentially, if you this is how I always do my Batman watching. I do Batman 89, Batman Begins, and The Dark Knight. I skip the other ones because this really uh, is a this movie is really great in keeping it self-contained in its own world. Like it would work perfectly if there was never a sequel to this film. There had to be a sequel to the film. I guess back then there really wasn't a thing called quote-unquote franchise. But Tim Burton made this film to be on its own. Now let's keep something in mind about this Batman uh, that we're not used to that as of today anyways is different. Uh, Tim Burton specifically made Batman be a hidden character. Now Batman likes to you know he wants to be hidden like if he goes into a room and there's a bunch of guys with guns and stuff i mean he wants to be hidden to a point but tim burton made it to where batman was real mysterious and you know the joker became the star of the film and to tim burton batman needed to be mysterious and uh, you don't get any questions answered about him you know just try to reveal everything towards the end of the film now, you know, now you're used to the Batman Begins, the Dark Knight. Batman is all about saving, uh, saving everybody. And here's the thing. Batman is not a killer. Batman's number one main code is to never kill. And, uh, and that really happens a lot in Batman Returns where Batman kills. Uh, this one, we'll argue in regards to if Batman's killed or not when we get there. But that's the number one code of Batman is to never kill anybody. And unfortunately, you know, that's really what trashes the rest of the sequels. I mean, not saying that Batman kills, but there's tons of other problems in the other movies. Uh, so let's just start off uh, with the music. The music is, this is my favorite score of all time. A lot of you out there, a lot of yous will have Star Wars. You'll have, uh, you know, the Back to the Future score. You'll have Star Trek, you, Jaws, whatever it is. For me, it's the Danny Elfman score of Batman. It's iconic. It's great. Now, I would probably say the only thing that this movie has over the Christopher Nolan series is the score. I mean, uh, Hans Zimmer is the is the is the person that does the score of of the Dark Knight movies, and I mean, I love the score. It's great. There's really no there's a theme to uh, to Batman, you know, in regards to Batman Begins and the Dark Knight, but it's not as iconic as the Danny Elfman where you hear the first three notes and you immediately know what it is. You know, it's it's almost like the Superman theme where you hear the actual word Superman in the music. Kind of the same thing can be said about this one where you can actually hear the word Batman uh, inside 
of the uh, of the music. I mean, the Danny Elfman is just amazing. I mean, Danny Elfman, if you didn't know, because I kind of talked about this the first time I reviewed it, where he was from Oingo Boingo. And, uh, you know, he was in, uh, if you're not familiar with Oingo Boingo, if you've ever seen Teen Wolf 2, they do Who Do You Want to Be Today? If you've ever seen Back to School, he, he was you could actually see him uh, singing at the party. Uh, Danny Elfman's just great. Uh, he's done almost all of Tim Burton's stuff. You can hear the similarities between uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice in all of his music. So I just, I love this score. It's amazing. I still listen to it. And as you can tell through the episode, uh, you'll be hearing a lot of the score. And, and if you notice, I actually opened the review before I started uh, with uh, my actual favorite piece of music, uh, which was the uh, the Batmobile, uh, where you know Batman goes to the Batcave with the Batmobile. That's actually my favorite piece of music from Danny Elfman on the score outside of the actual theme of the you know of the movie. So uh, outside of that, um, I kind of touched on how the movie starts off, and you really are kind of in a in a period piece or a timeless piece where it does it does a great job of mixing the time frame you're in like the 30s and 40s and 50s with uh, with 1989 I mean of course Batman couldn't have a suit like that or the gadgets or the Batmobile back in those days so it does really really well uh, in regards to setting that up and you know it kind of tricks you first time you see it you're like oh you're gonna see the origins of Batman and then all of a sudden when uh, the lady screams and you see Batman on the rooftop you're like holy crap uh, you know you're already getting Batman already now let's talk about Michael Keaton as Batman you want to talk about the way a movie opens you know I, we talked about that last week on Bad Boys 2 this opening is awesome now the suit is amazing now granted uh, you know the Christian Bale Dark Knight suit is the best i mean it's the only batman suit that lets the person inside the suit be able to move the neck versus everybody else has it attached to the head uh, but it looks great for the time that this came out it looked phenomenal it looked like body armor but it looks sweet the fact that batman was all black works awesome i, I wish the wings uh you know his cape was a little bit bigger in regards to making his wings even tim burton said that though uh, but he looks great when he first comes in and uh, and he looks really awesome as Batman. I've always loved the look of Michael Keaton. Uh, I thought he did good. Now, granted, his voice, uh, he doesn't change his voice nearly as much as Christian Bale does, which arguably people say is either uh, a curse uh, or a blessing in disguise, however you want to look at it. But either way, uh, Michael Keaton does a fairly good job in regards to changing his voice. I like how he's like, I'm not going to kill you. I want you to tell your friends about me. And then, you know, of course, I sh he should have said, I'm not going to kill you until the sequel. But in this scene where he's like, I'm not going to kill you. I want you to tell all your friends about me. It's just a great way of spreading uh, that Batman's out and, uh, and, and to scare all your friends. So after you're introduced to Batman, uh, they, they introduce you to Harvey Dent, uh, which is Billy D. Williams. Now, he's not in it a whole lot, but as I said, he was cast because he wanted to be a villain. Uh, I think it would have been interesting to see him play the villain as Two-Face. Uh, but, you know, he really doesn't do a whole lot in this film. Uh, now, Jack Nicholson. Now, as a kid... I really didn't know who Jack Nicholson was. To me, this guy was the Joker. I mean, obviously, as I've gotten older, I recognize that, uh, you know, it's Jack Nicholson playing Jack. However, even Tim Burton says it was, you know, Jack 
is supposed to play Jack. He's the perfect person to play the Joker, especially at this time. Now, Jack made the greatest deal, in my opinion, uh, of all of movies. Uh, Not only did he get paid for this film, but he also got paid for the next film and Batman Forever. And uh, it's just crazy the way he had it set up in his contracts. I mean, the guy has made... Uh, he'll never come on and say it, but you know the guy has made billions and billions of dollars. I mean, it's ridiculous. This guy made the best financial movie decision there was. I mean, the guy... I got to give him props. He's super intelligent. Uh, great idea. Because he said he was really the only one that knew how big the film was going to be. So props to you. Uh, and, uh, of course, Jack Napier, it's kind of cool that... He's, his name is Jack, and he plays Jack in the film. Uh, so I, I really do enjoy him as the Joker. I mean, obviously, Heath Ledger. Uh, we'll get to that when we get to the Dark Knight. But uh, I think he did a good job. Of course, he's just Jack playing Jack, but Tim Burton would just film uh, maybe like five. There'd be like five takes, and uh, Jack would always change it up, and, and Tim Burton would just pick his favorite out of the five and, and just use that for the film. So all in all, he did good. Now uh, we get introduced to uh, to Grissom. Oh, can't stand Jack Plant. You guys may be fans of this guy, City Slickers, whatever. I can't stand this guy. He actually went off on Tim Burton during uh, the very first scene, which was him coming out of the shower and he gets shot. Uh, I just I cannot stand this guy. I'm glad he's not in the film very long. Any movie I have to see him in, he's annoying. I can't stand this actor. I'm just glad he wasn't in it very long. But uh, technically speaking, he makes sense to be the bad guy uh, or, or the boss of uh, Jack. You know, of course, the same year he was in Tango and Cash. So, and he was the main bad guy in Tango and Cash. So, it, you know, he made a wise choice in being in the biggest movie of the year. You know, I don't know if I mentioned it, but, you know, Batman was number one. Uh, Lethal Weapons, three. Indiana Jones was two. Back to the Future, two. Ranked at number six. Ghostbusters 2 is number 7, and these are like the most financial movies of the year. Tango and Cash was 20, Pet Cemetery is 23, Major League was 26, and Good Old Karate Kid 3 was number 33. So uh, so it was just, it was a great year for, Bat- for to be a Batman fan and to be in that movie because you ended up being in the number one movie of the year. So uh, Eckhart, I'm glad this dude is not in the film very long. Uh, he's annoying. I don't like this guy whatsoever. Uh, yeah, it just, ugh, I hate watching this guy on screen. He's just horrible. Don't like him whatsoever. Uh, you know, I used to have problems with uh, Knox. You know, I thought he was annoying as a kid, but I appreciate this guy now. I think he's good. He does an excellent job in the film. He's got really good chemistry with Vicki Vale trying to, you know, because he's got the hots for Vicki Vale, but he knows that she digs Bruce Wayne. So, all in all, I, I dig Alexander Knox. Originally, he was going to die, uh, but they changed it to where he lives. But he wanted to be in the sequel, and that never happened. So Knox, you know, now that I'm older, I can appreciate this character and dig him. But as a kid, as a kid, I s- did not like Eckhart. I did not like Grissom, and I definitely didn't like Knox. But I still, out of th- those three, one of them I like now. Uh, the other two are just... You know, there to get the story along, which is fine. Now, Vicki Vale, uh, Kim Basinger. Uh, originally, Sean Young was supposed to be in this film. Uh, now, there's a scene where, uh, if you if you actually read the book of this film, 
Uh, I'll talk about where it comes into play, but there's one point where Joker kidnaps Vicky, which is way before the ending, and she's actually riding. Um, they're riding on like this horse, and Sean Young was actually preparing for the role. This is kind of an urban legend, but I think it's true. Uh, she she got hurt, broke her leg, and then Kim Basinger was filled in for her, which thank God that happened because I totally think this movie would have tanked if Sean Young was in it. I've never really liked Sean Young, but Kim Basinger works really well. She's got a great screaming voice. Uh, she really, for me, is the first damsel in distress that I was really uh, that I've come uh, accustomed with. But she works well. You know, she uh, she's smart. Uh, she's she's good looking. Um, but uh, you know, unfortunately, she's not very tough, which which is fine. Uh, but I love her screaming, though. I mean, for most people, it gets annoying, but I think she does an excellent job of being a screamer in this film. Now, Alfred, we actually get introduced to him at the party, which is the first time that we see Bruce Wayne. Uh, you know, Michael uh, Michael Goff, yeah, he recently died about, uh, I think it was two years ago. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't a pretty good job as being Alfred. I mean, of course, he's no Michael Caine in the new Batman series, but overall, though, uh, I really dig him as as Alfred. Uh, he doesn't have a whole lot of lines in this one, but anytime he does, he has the more subtle comedy versus the over the top ridiculous comedy of Jack Nicholson. Uh, and you get that because you know he'll say drink, sir, and then uh, Knox tries to give him a tip, and he just holds the money out from his hand like it's dirty so yeah uh alfred alfred works really well in this now what i love about bruce wayne uh is kind of his introduction when vicky bell says can you tell me which one of these guys is bruce wayne he's like i'm not really sure and then you see the talk between her and knox talking about they see all this stuff and they're like you know the more they're the more they have the less they're worth and i just love it when he's like what's this from he goes it's japanese how would you know because i bought it in japan perfect way uh, of an introduction now michael keaton is pretty short i mean this guy's not very tall i mean vicky vale is almost as tall as him especially if she had some high heels she would definitely be over michael keaton now if you don't remember back then michael keaton got a lot of crap for being uh for being this character because back then all he did was comedies mr mom dream team uh, I mean, Clean and Sober is definitely a hardcore film, but all in all, though, Michael, you know, Michael Keaton was the comedy guy, and when you just seen him off Beetlejuice, I could see why people were scared. So that's why they had to rush the trailer out. And once that trailer came out and people saw the kind of film this was going to be, that's how Batmania started. So, needless to say, Michael Keaton does a really good job of not being funny in this movie. He has one scene where you could tell it's like Beetlejuice esque which I'll talk about in a minute, but all in all, Michael Keaton does a good job. Now, is he a Christian Bale? Of course not. I mean, it's going to be hard for me to review these films and not compare them to the Christopher Nolan stuff, so I'm going to try my best to keep the review strictly based on the film itself and not try to compare. It'll be a little hard, but I'm going to try to be as honest as I can on this. But all in all, though, for for what we got, uh, Michael Keaton does a really good job as, uh, as Batman because he's just not doesn't do a whole lot uh he he gets the job done and then it's bruce wayne he he doesn't play the tortured i guess he doesn't do the tortured soul and playboy the way it should be done because technically speaking batman's three people you have bruce wayne which is the tortured soul 
Then you have Bruce Wayne, the playboy. So it's the act that he puts on in front of everybody where he acts like he's all happy and he's he's outrageous and he he, he spends his money. So that way he's, he's so obnoxious that nobody in a million years would think that he's Batman. And then you have Batman the monster, which of course did not get portrayed correctly until you hit Batman Begins. I mean, in a way, Batman is done as a monster in this one, but not not as well as it was done, obviously, in Batman Begins. But uh, Bruce Wayne does it, he just does it two ways. He does Batman, and then he does Bruce Wayne, and he's kind of the tortured soul the whole time. He doesn't do a really good job of being the playboy, uh, all in all. So, moving on, um, we, have, uh, we have the Batcave. Which uh, I really, really enjoy the Batcave scene. You know, we, we haven't ho- had a whole lot of Batcave stuff in the newer movies. Uh, but I love the way the monitors are set up. Uh, just the overall feel of it looks good. It kind of matches uh, Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. Kind of have the same vibe as, uh, as the Batcave here. It's good stuff. Uh, and then, of course, the Axis Chemical scene. Love it, love it, love it. I mean, the music is great. Uh, there's suspense there. And then when Batman shows up, he comes he comes gliding down and then he shoots his little, he shoots his bat, um, his grappling gun at a dude and has him hanging there. And, and then just the, the total, the camera effects where Jack's going up the stairs and you see Batman right behind him moving his cape. Oh, it looks so flipping good. The, the way the shots are done in this scene are excellent excellent you know some dude comes around and batman punches him in the face with this fist it's just so good i mean he doesn't even have to look he just has to look just a little bit down just to see that the guy's out uh good stuff now let's talk about the uh the scene though how uh, jack napier is made now of course bruce didn't know that jack napier was the uh was the person uh, involved and the reason behind his parents dying so you really have to wonder about this scene. Did Batman let him go on purpose or was it a slip? You could really take it both ways. If Batman uh, let him go on purpose, that makes Batman a killer, which immediately you're you're taking Batman in the wrong direction. You're supposed to take it as, you know, he has gloves, Jack had gloves, it was just a slip and he fell in the bat of chemicals. But it's filmed ambiguously, so you could kind of figure out and interpret it your own way. I take it as it was a slip and that he didn't do it on purpose. Uh, but I, I love it, though, before that where he's like, nice outfit, you know, and, and Batman just kind of smiles. It was some good stuff. Now, um, when uh, after the Axis chemical scene, uh, like when they go to Bruce Wayne's house and they show the date between him and Vicky, and they're in that dining room and he's like, how's the soup? And uh, she's like, good. And she's like, can you pass the salt? And uh, it's just a real funny scene. Uh, you get to see the really long table. And she's like, do you like eating in here? And he's like, oh, sure. And then he looks around and he just says, you know, to tell you the truth, I don't think I've ever eaten in this room before. That kind of tells you the person that Bruce Wayne is, that he has so many rooms in his house that he doesn't even know what rooms are in his house. You know, that's kind of cool. Now, after this, we get to see the birth of the Joker. Uh, what's really funny about this scene is uh, the very first time you see his face, because they do a good job for about five minutes, they, they try to keep it hidden and not show you his face. 
the first time he's revealed if you notice on his collar uh it's it's got makeup on it and he's got a purple neck instead of white uh they they thought the shot was good but they realized it later that uh, they forgot to edit that. So Tim Burton just decided to leave it there. But they kind of cringe every time they look at that scene. When they're like man we could have fixed that. Uh, and, and you know fixed the neck if we would have just reshot it. But it's kind of a cool movie mistake. Alright now let's get to the first scene that uh, I, I don't enjoy. And I think it's kind of dumb. Uh, I like when Jack has to put on the makeup. Because as a kid I was always wondering how. Uh, he has a regular face, and then when he wipes his uh, when he wipes his forehead, it turns white. I was like, "Oh, so he must have had makeup on his handkerchief to give him the Joker look." Because I thought he uh, he paints his face uh, as the Joker, but no. Uh, as an adult, I realized that his face is actually always white, and he puts makeup on to look human you know to look normal which is cool which makes that effect awesome but of course in reality uh jack nicholson had to have you know uh, a, i mean he's got three layers of makeup he's got his regular face he's got the joker face and then he has the fake uh real face on top of that so it's kind of cool but the scene that i say is dumb is the one where uh he goes to shake the dude's hand and uh and he gets electrocuted where all of his skin melts off but his clothes are there it's just it's dumb i mean in a way it's almost like they're they're doing a nod to the 60s show it's like up to this point you've been very serious uh i get the fact that they're it's the joker and he's trying to be you know wild and crazy but this doesn't work for me. I mean, there's no way that you could shake somebody's hand and all of a sudden their body melt and their clothes stay intact uh, and their whole skin just melts off. It's just It was just stupid and I always hate that scene. I wish they would have done something a little bit differently. It was kind of, uh, I mean, as, as hyper reality as this film is supposed to be, that was way over the top and it was completely dumb. So that's the that's one scene that I just I can't stand and it just always annoys me to death. Now uh, there is one scene that is really cool and that's when uh, you know Bruce is uh, is over at City Hall and uh, you know when the guy comes out saying that Grissom left all of his businesses to him and Joker uh, hits him in the neck with a with the killer pen and he's like the pen is truly mightier than the sword and all these guys start to open fire and Bruce doesn't even flinch man he's just like walking in the bullets and stuff at one point he actually gets shot in the arm and I think it's more of his clothes get shot not necessarily his arm but I like that fact because Bruce is so into the fact that Jack Napier is alive that bullets don't even scare him which I think is flipping awesome and it was an interesting take uh, on the character so I thought that scene was priceless that was really good stuff all right so let's talk about another scene that I have a huge problem with uh, I like the idea of the Joker using, you know, chemical products to, you know, kill people. But here's what's dumb about it. Uh, you know, after after Amanda Keeler, you know, they do the announcement and, you know, and Joker's like, here's the gag. You probably bought it already. So the next scene after that, you know, after Batman, after Bruce Wayne says, let's go shopping. And then he realizes that he was, you know, in chemistry and that kind of thing. You'll see the news reporters all messed up looking, which I like. I like that. You know, you could tell that they haven't washed their hair or, you know, done their makeup or anything like that. Everything's cool. This is what's dumb. 
after that, Vicki Vale's fine looking, Bruce Wayne's fine, the you know, the mayor's all ready to go, uh Harvey Dent is all on the phone, we're working on it. So it's like, okay, so did did they just decide that, hey, I'm gonna take a risk and I'm just gonna wash up and everything and just hope that I don't die? It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, did Vicky have special makeup that she carried from uh, around the world that she was knew for sure she could use? I mean, it was just dumb. We don't get resolution until after the whole Batman rescues Vicky Vale thing. So it's like it just the timing doesn't work. I wish it would have been maybe later on in the film or maybe move those scenes around. I don't know. It just it doesn't work for me how some people are all like messed up looking and the other ones are all fine like there's no big deal. So for me that's one humongous flaw of the film. All right, now let's talk about uh let's talk about Prince because uh during the party man scene, you know where Joker comes in and he's redoing the artwork himself. They play Prince's song Party Man. So Tim Burton, you know, this is his first big major movie and uh, he really, you know, he knew he wanted Danny Elfman, but he was kind of told by Warner Brothers, look, you know, you need to pick somebody off of our roster uh, to do the music. So at the time, you know, Tim Burton had to choose from Eric Clapton, uh, Madonna, Paul Simon or Prince. I can see why he chose Prince. I've never been a Prince fan. Some of these tunes I I like because, you know, I do have the soundtrack. Bad Dance is kind of cool, but it gets repetitive after a while and a little bit annoying. Uh, I like Party Man. It's cool. But I really only like the part from the beginning to the point that it's shut off uh, in the movie. Uh, I like Trust. Trust is probably the best song that Prince does on the soundtrack. Bad Dance is cool. I mean, I'd probably give it an 8 out of 10. But if I'm not in the mood for it, it can be repetitive. But uh, I, I understand why Tim Burton had to pick Prince for this, which if you notice in Batman Returns, probably the only good thing about Batman Returns is the fact that there's no music in that film, just score. There's actually one song that is actually in the film, and that's by an artist that he loved, which I'll talk about in the next episode. So I like the Party Man scene. It's not too bad. It, it's kind of funny, uh, and you know I kind of dig this song. And the best part about the scene is when he's actually sitting down with Vicky, goes through her stuff and says, crap, 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 crap. It's hysterical. I don't know why that I laugh at that so bad, but I do. It's just so good. So then we get to the best scene of the whole entire film, uh, arguably. And that's the Batmobile scene. That's where Batman breaks in. From the window, your first introduction to a Batman that's going to be coming out of a window, as we'll see in the next couple of films. I really, really dig it. Uh, then we get to see the Batmobile in action. Uh, I mean, the Tumbler is by far the best Batmobile because, I mean, it's the most uh, logical uh, makes perfect sense and can actually do everything on screen that uh, can actually do everything in real life that you see on screen. You know, I mean, I watched all the special features on that. This Batmobile just looks flipping amazing. I mean, if you were to tell me that this is the greatest Batmobile in all of history, I would not argue with you one bit. Uh, realistically, the Tumbler would be the one you want to go with, but this one, it looks flipping awesome. It's like a mix between like a Lamborghini and a Ferrari and something else. It's just so flipping awesome looking. And then everything to 
uh, you know, how much do you weigh? See that thing in my belt, grab it. And he goes and fights the guys. And uh, we actually get to see Batman in action, kicking some dude's ass. It's just so flipping good. Uh, there's actually a deleted scene if you watch the documentary on the Blu-ray or on the special two-disc edition of this movie. Uh, there's actually a girl that's after Batman beats up the guys that she says is it Halloween. And Batman just smiles at her and just continues, uh, you know, continues walking and stuff. Uh, really, really good. I like the Joker cars, uh, which which is real funny. I like when uh, when Batman's laying on the ground, like, who is this guy? And Bob's like, check his wallet, which Bob is the henchman to Joker. Uh, he's really cool. He's actually really good friends with Jack Nicholson, which is how he got the job. The sword fight is awesome. Uh, I, I love the... Uh, uh, man, it's just so good. I love that scene. And then, of course, we get my favorite, which is... Uh, where the Batmobile, you know, you see it go through the forest and it's going real fast and you see the leaves flying everywhere and they have the awesome music. It's just so good. Uh, I love it. This is my favorite scene in the whole film. It's excellent, 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 excellent. So uh, the Vicky Vale apartment scene, which is really funny. I like how Bruce Wayne walks in and it's like, nice place, lots of space. And then when Joker shows up a little bit later, he says the exact same thing. Nice place, lots of space. Uh, I like how uh, Bruce wants to tell Vicky that he's Batman. Uh, it's a good story. I like how he tries to come up with analogies to explain it. Uh, here's the problem with this scene. Uh, everything's been good up until the point Joker shows up. Uh, where Batman or Bruce decides that, hey, I'm going to get shot and it's going to be this little tiny piece of metal that's going to save me. And hopefully it won't shoot me in the head. Is really what you need to think when you watch this scene. But he puts it in the right spot that he gets shot. And uh, you know, really what happens if you read the book this is where things change. And I should mention before this, this is the part where I said it was Beetlejuice-esque. And that's where he's like, you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. Uh, really, it's the time where Michael Keaton comes out to be the Michael Keaton that we've seen in the funnier films. Uh, I like this scene. Of course, we get the the Joker. Have you ever danced with a devil in the pale moonlight? Uh, in the book, if you read, if you read the official, uh, this is where Joker actually kidnaps Vicky, uh, Bruce actually changes into Batman, uh, comes like gliding down, uh, gets on top of this horse and starts to, you know, it's just a real crazy scene, but it was found to be too expensive to film. And therefore that's how Sean Young broke her leg. And uh, that's really where the movie starts to change in regards to story is, uh, is up to this point. Or I should say everything has been the complete script up until you get to this point where uh, they couldn't film the scene. Alright, so let's talk about the two most annoying scenes in the whole entire film, arguably. Uh, and they kind of come right back to back. Um, originally, um, Joker, for those of you who did not know, did not kill Batman's parents. Uh, it was actually just a regular mugger that actually uh, tried to mug them, shot them. Uh, if you watch Batman Begins, that's pretty much what happened. Uh, however, Tim Burton, you know, the script was changing as they were filming. Uh, things weren't going as well as planned. So he wanted to make it one solid story and make it to where Joker is the reason behind Batman's killing. Now, as I was a kid, uh, I didn't know the true origin of uh 
of Batman. I always thought Joker was how Batman came to be. I always thought Joker killed his parents because, you know, I, I do like the fact of the guys that are playing the younger versions of Bob and Jack Nicholson. They actually look just like them, which is pretty cool. Uh, as a kid, being 10 years old, this was my origin story to Bruce Wayne. It wasn't until later when I read the comics and found the real story that this scene pissed me off. I can kind of understand where Tim Burton was going, how he wanted to make it as just one solid story and this person made this person and that person made that person. It just really annoyed me because, you know, my wife would be like, well, the Joker is the one that made his parents. And it's like because of this movie, you had to tell everybody the true story of like, no, that's not how it happened. This is how it really happened. It was changed for the movie. So taking liberties like that really screws around with the history of the character. Uh, But can I forgive the scene? Of course I can forgive the scene, especially if I'm watching this movie just as it is. Okay, I can go with that. That's cool. You know, it's just, it depends how you want to look at the scene. If you're just looking at an overall Batman franchise-wise, it'll annoy you and make you mad. If you're just looking at it in the context of this one film and this one film only, you can kind of go along with it. However, the Vicky Vale being introduced in the Bat Cave, I mean, even the screenwriter said that was not my idea. You know, Alfred would be, that would be the last day of his employment at Wayne Manor. I mean, let's, let's put it this way. Would the Michael Caine, Alfred, in the Batman Begins and Dark Knight uh, version ever let any female into the Batcave? Ever. You, even if he knew, for example, Rachel knew that Bruce was Batman, he still wouldn't let Rachel in the Batcave. That's just the amount of respect that he has. And flipping Alfred just like, hey, guess what? You got a guest. I mean, seriously. Oh, that was just, that's the two biggest issues uh, you know, that most of the majority of people have, which are, are valid reasons of being upset. But, you know, I've lived to learn with it. And I do like the conversation between Bruce and Vicky in this scene. Uh, just why does he have to do what he needs to do? And, uh, and I just like, you know, I got to know, are we going to try to love each other? I'd like to, but he's out there right now and I got to go to work. And then he opens, he opens his thing and you see the bad suit. It's good time. So I've learned to come to, to enjoy this scene. Uh, you know, as a kid, I was like, okay, Vicky Vale's in the back cave. And then as time went on, it would always annoy me. But, you know, I've just kind of let it, just kind of let it slide and not really let it bother me too much. Same thing with the Joker. Uh, because I got the definitive version now with Batman Begins fixing that problem. I can let that problem slide now, but I just having all those years of trying to explain to people, no, this is how it really went, people, not the Joker. It just kind of, it was just kind of annoying to be a comic book fan at that time. So, uh, so yeah, the the ending of the film, and I'm referring to the Batwing. Okay, so the Batwing is cool. Uh, I dig it a lot. The Batmobile has been pretty awesome. I mean, it's been able to go and access chemicals. Uh, blow. Uh, here's the thing. If Batman didn't officially kill anybody, he just did in this scene. He goes in Axis Chemicals uh, and blows it up. So he killed a bunch of dudes in Axis Chemicals, whether they were innocent or not. So Batman in this scene, you can't argue, killed some folks, okay? And the new Batman, that never would have happened. He would have found a more creative way of taking out the place without anybody in there. So I'm just saying, in this scene, Batman killed a bunch of folks. Uh, now, if most people are looking at this as the good guy has to kill the bad guy, I guess you can go with it. But if you know the one rule of Batman is never to kill, this goes completely against the character. But the Batwing. Uh, the Batwing, I, I love the scene where it goes up in the clouds. 
Uh, that's flipping awesome. And it's just kind of convenient that uh, on the front of, of the Batwing, he has things to be able to take the balloons all the way up in the air. You got to love that convenience factor. But here is my problem with this scene. Everything's cool with this scene except two things. Number one, how is it that he's able to lock on the Joker and shoot guns and missiles and completely miss? That doesn't make any sense. This is Batman. I mean, everything this guy does works. And this doesn't. I mean, he's got a clear dead on shot and it completely misses. Okay, if you want to call it a malfunction, fine. But explain this. How is it that the Joker, and keep in mind, the Joker probably had a regular gun. And it was one of those, the more that he pulled it out, the longer it got. One bullet takes out the Batwing. When the flipping Batmobile is like able to go through Axis Chemicals, take all this damage, not have, I mean, take the damage in regards to blowing stuff up and fire, and yet it doesn't have a scratch on it. But the Batwing uh, gets one shot and it's taken down. I mean, obviously, the ending looks like it was just kind of, oh, let's just do this scene because it'll look cool. Let's do this scene because it'll look cool. And that just kind of sucked. Can I go along with this scene? Yeah, I can go along with the scene, but it's just annoying. It's like, seriously, the Batwing should be a lot cooler, which it looks like in the new Dark Knight Rises, they finally are going to get it right. So let's cross our fingers that it gets done the correct way. Now, uh, most people have a problem with the cathedral scene. I love it. Okay, I don't know what it is, but I just love it. The way Batman comes out of the wreck with his cut face and he goes in like the you know the church and knocks over all the pews which looks exactly the way it does in the crow uh, i just love the way he's going up all the all the stairs and he takes on all those thugs and you get that big thug that just beats the crap out of him it's like you finally get to see batman uh be able to to fight i mean for one thing he's just standing there and some dude uh starts to flip and he just pulls out his little hand and, and knocks the dude out uh that was that was some good times but I just love the thug that with the sunglasses that's beating the crap out of him. And, of course, Batman kills this guy. He's on a bell. Uh, he takes his feet and throws him down the bell tower. Obviously, this guy wasn't going to live. So this is now another person that Batman's killed. Seriously, what is up with this? It's, okay, the good guy's got to kill the bad guys. I mean, that's how Tim Burton's taken this. Batman seriously would not have thrown this guy down uh, down the, the the bell tower, man. Seriously. It's just, oh, I love the scene until that happens. I'm just like, seriously, couldn't he have done something else? That just sucks. Uh, but all in all, I, I love it when uh, he does go up to the Joker. Joker punches him in the stomach and he's like, oh, my hand. And he goes, you idiot. You made me remember. You dropped me in that bat of chemicals. And don't think that I would, you know, didn't try to forget. Uh, because he's like, I'm, I'm going to kill you. So you actually get to hear Batman say, I'm going to kill you. So this is obviously not the Batman from the comics. Maybe Tim Burton is trying to change it to where uh, he wants to make Batman as dark as possible. And the way to do that is to kill. Uh, but it just is like, ugh. It just becomes a vengeance story at the end instead of Batman the hero. You know, the, uh, the Batman the hero would, would put aside... Uh, that kind of stuff and do what's needed to save people and and take the bad guy out without killing him and it's just like uh kind of sucks but uh but all in all though uh when we get to the ending you know the jo- batman kills the joker here's where it all started folks this is where continuously throughout the rest of the superhero films the good guy always has to take out the bad guy and nine times out of ten it was by death 
Now, it sounds like I'm really bashing on the film, especially since I don't really do that a whole lot on this show. But I wanted to, you know, be as honest as possible on this. And as I mentioned before, when you get if I had not had the Christopher Nolan films, I really would not have noticed these things or it wouldn't have been so apparent to me. And especially the Batman Arkham Asylum and Arkham City games. Those really take the history of Batman, combine all the greatest stories together. And that's another way that if you're not familiar with the Batman history, just play those games. And you will, you will get a whole school of knowledge when you of Batman when you play those games. And even in those games, his rule is never to kill. And uh, just a lot of that goes out the water. Overall, though, how do I feel about this film? I still enjoy it. I love the music. I love the look of it. I have really good, fond memories of it. Sure, there's some scenes that I don't like. But, uh, you know, I I can live with it. And uh, I I still give this movie, uh, as I gave in my original review, a very strong four stars. Uh, It couldn't get any higher than four stars due to the problems that I pointed out already on this film. Uh, I would. Will I continue to watch this film? Of course I will. Will I watch it over the, the new series? Of course not. Uh, this is just, if I need to go back to the old school days, I'm going to pop this guy in. Uh, the Blu-ray is excellent. I love the, the, the Blu-ray book. I kind of talked about that on the original review I did. If you could find and get your hands on it, it's got a really cool 30-page uh, book inside of it. It's got a digital copy, which looks really great. Uh, there's so much goodness of this film. You know, the logo, the the Batmania, the great memories, the suit. Uh, there's just so, there's more good in this film than there is trash. Uh, I mean, there, there's not even the bad stuff isn't even trash. It's just kind of like annoying is more what it is than it is bad. Is is the best way I can say it. However, when we get to the next film, that's bad. But we'll get there uh, in the next couple of days when I review that. So overall, guys, that's what I have for the for the revised review of Batman '89. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully you can kind of see some of my points. And uh, and I was really happy to to go back and revisit this film. I've been in full Batman mode for the past two weeks, just watching everything I can on documentaries and special features. And I highly recommend if you don't have it already, buy the Batman anthology. It's excellent. It's an eight-disc set. Uh, it's amazing. And the documentaries alone are worth your price. I even bought Bat, you know, it come with Batman and Robin. I could care less, but it still had that bonus disc that I needed to complete the documentary. Uh, go go check it out. It's still kind of expensive on Blu-ray, but you can get the DVD for like 15 bucks uh, on eBay. It's it's excellent. So that's what I got, guys. Let's hear what the STL Nation had to say. All right, and uh, we got some really good emails here. Uh, the first one, and this came in a little while ago, uh, getting ready for the series, and that's uh, Jameson the Great writes in, and he's like, Hey, Masunis, checking in again regarding the Batman series, uh, specifically the 1989 Batman. I vividly remember the excitement building as this film was about to come out. The bad dance was everywhere. I was buying the Batman movie trading cards before I'd even see the film, which I had those too. I was always missing two cards. It was always annoying. You always had to buy the full box. 
if you were going to be able to get the full set. Uh, but the chewing gum was always nasty. He said, uh, I was buying the Batman movie trading cards before I'd even seen the film. My neighborhood was uh, all wash and bat fever. And man, did that film deliver. I saw it five times in a theater and considered it my apocalypse now. A movie so dark and gritty that it changed what superheroes movies could be to me. Everyone loved the Danny Elfman score and the cool new Batmobile. Suddenly, Vicki Vale was my new crush, which I hear you on that, sir. And Jack Nicholson was, capital letters, the Joker. Uh, there's no hyperbole in saying I was obsessed with this film. Unlike any other superhero movie i'd seen before this was halfway believable and the villain was truly something to fear i honestly didn't think it was possible to make a better batman movie than this which i agree 100 percent with what you just said sir uh, he goes on to say for years this film held up fine to me it was easily the best of the franchise but soon after batman begins came out uh, I rewatched this. It had lost something. That gritty reality I loved about it seemed cartoonish. Uh, those bad one-liners, which I had quoted so many times, had become that had become a staple of the franchise, became hacky. And then the Dark Knight came out. Suddenly, Nicholson was no longer the Joker. Suddenly, his portrayal looked more like Jack being Jack. I guess what I'm saying is that I love this movie. I still love this movie. I love Michael Keaton as both Bruce Wayne and Batman. I didn't think it would. Hold up as well looking back but i blame christopher nolan christopher nolan's brilliance for that which that's like my favorite like line anybody's ever said before i blame christopher nolan's brilliance for that without the new franchise that 89 batman would still be the best which hands down i agree 100 i agree 100 on everything you've said uh, it's still a great fun to watch that is all jameson uh the self-proclaimed stl nation uh, oh my gosh the self-proclaimed STL legend. So thank you, Mr. Legend. Always a great time to hear from you, sir. Uh, you know, you love Batman just as much as I do. So it's good stuff. Excellent review. Uh, the next email comes from Cheerful Charlie. He said, hey, Masunas and the rest of the STL Nation, what's up? I'm certainly excited to hear Masunas' review of the Batman series of the movies. Uh, sir, I'm I'm glad you started with the movie that came out first in 1989, the one starring Michael Keaton, Kim Basinger, Jack Nicholson. That movie was just great. I gave you an intro to Bat. It gave you an intro to Batman. Uh, told you his backstory a little and had the Batman fight in the Joker. Great movie. Nicholson was great as the Joker. I was pleasantly surprised to see Jack uh, Palance in it, which. I wasn't. I wish she wasn't in it. I even read in a magazine that Batman creator Bob Kane even visited the set. Was he in the movie? He did visit the set. He was not in the movie, but his wife does make cameo appearances in Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Uh, he goes on to say, I'd heard he had a cameo in the movie, which he did not. Uh, I had bought the DVD for all four Batman movies on two discs. I uh, would have rather had each individual Batman movie so I could see or hear an auto commentary from Tim Burton who was a great director. Uh, he captured the Batman vibe very well for that time, which you said, I bought the DVD set with all four Batman movies on two discs. Oh, I see what you're saying. You got the regular edition. You didn't get the special edition. Yeah, the auto commentary was great uh, for Batman, Batman Returns, and Joel Schumacher talking Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Uh, those were some really good. And funny with Tim Burton, man, he... He's not a people person, you can tell. So he stutters over his words really. He'll be like, very, 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 very you know, like repeat the same word over and over and then he'll start laughing and nothing makes sense. 
So uh, he goes on to say that uh, thanks for taking the time to read. Looking forward to Batman and Robin episode and, of course, to hear the Nolan movies. Waiting for a three-pack to come out for those on Blu-ray, which, dude, that's not coming out for a very long time. So you better keep waiting. Uh, so thank you, Cheerful Charlie, for writing in. Good time, sir. And uh, the next email comes from Sebastian. Uh, he writes in, Hello, Sweet Delay Podcast. I give Batman 89 a 4 out of 5 stars, which... Thank you, Sebastian, for actually using stars instead of, you know, 4.2 or 4.3. So good time, sir. He said, I thought the cast is great and chosen rather well. I believe that Keaton's performance as Bruce is rather bland and boring to watch, but does a good job as the Cape Crusader. Nicholson as Joker was plenty of fun to watch, but I didn't see the full difference between Nicholson and Joker in his performance. Uh, what is up with the have you ever danced with the devil in a pale moonlight being such a common phrase of Joker than Batman? Um, I don't know. It's just something that uh, kind of needed to be said that was it's something that you remember, which is obviously the clue of uh, Bruce realizing that uh, he's the one that killed his parents. Uh, cool fact, Nicholson got residuals for Batman all the way to Batman and Robin. But for the last movie, he was paid so low that he wanted to reprise his role in a sequel to Batman and Robin called Batman Triumphant. The same can be said for Marlon Wayans' uh, pre-Robin. Actually, at Batman and Robin, his residuals ended. And uh, they were thinking of bringing him back uh, through Scarecrow uh, in like flashback form. Uh, but you know, obviously that didn't work out and thank God because they would have just kept going on with this load of crap. So thank you, Sebastian, for writing in always a good time, sir. And, uh, that is, uh, that is it guys for, uh, for our reviews. Uh, of uh, of Batman 89. So uh, we got some for Batman Returns now. So uh, make sure you write in for that. It's uh, Sweet Play Podcast at Yahoo.com. Uh, you know, please feel free to uh, follow on Twitter. Uh, just in case you guys don't know, uh, any updates you make on Facebook now, if you have a fan page, uh, your fans do not see it unless you actually pay the big bucks. I don't have that kind of money to pay, so please follow on Twitter. Anytime I post on Facebook, you will automatically see that on Twitter. Uh, also, join the STL Nation Randomness group. Everything I post on Facebook, on the STL podcast page, I also post in a group so everybody can see it. So uh, so please do that. And then don't forget iTunes. Uh, the cool thing is there's uh, they've changed it now. Instead of uh, reviews, they go by ratings. So currently, instead of 13 reviews, I'm sitting at 17 ratings. So if you just want to go out there and just rate the podcast, take like two seconds, give it, you know, hopefully a five-star review. I'm currently at four and a half stars. Somehow somebody must have gave me like a one star, which is fine. You know, everybody has their opinion. But uh, I'd love to get a, you know, get some more reviews and stuff. So uh, please go out there. Uh, take the time to do that. So that is what I have uh, for emails, guys. Let's get into the music spotlight. All right, Music Spotlight time. Hopefully you guys have been having fun with the Music Spotlight Summer Series. I've had a blast putting these songs together for you. 
Uh, hopefully you've uh, you've found some new songs that uh, you want to jam to. And uh, and this time uh, for this series, uh, there's a couple of episodes where I'm going to bring back some old school STL fan favorites, just because of the fact of you know it's been a year uh, since uh, I did this, this podcast, and there's it's this podcast has been around for for since February of last year. And uh, not everybody, uh, we have a lot of new listeners, so not everybody's gone back to the older episodes. And a lot of these songs that uh, I'm probably going to replay in the next couple of weeks, uh, they're fan favorites. A lot of you guys already love these songs, so it'll be cool just to hear them again. Uh, for the new listeners that may not have heard them before, these are my summertime jams as well. So I definitely want you to hear them. Uh, I just absolutely love these songs that I'm going to be playing in the next couple of weeks. So I'm still doing the same thing. You know, the first song is going to be a song that mostly probably not a lot of people have heard of, or maybe a few have, and then the second one is one that everybody knows. So for this week, uh, I'm picking uh, for the first time ever, uh, I'm bringing back a classic to the STL Nation, and uh, everybody, uh, all, all the hardcore fans know this song, love this song, and the song fits perfectly with Batman. Uh, you'll know it when you'll know it when it when it starts. What I mean by that, I'm not going to tell you the name of the song or who it is because just by telling you the title, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. But the song fits perfectly with the themes of this movie. Uh, it's a song that I blast nonstop in my car. And then the second one is actually uh, a 2012 summer jam. Uh, this one's been out for probably about three months. Just tearing up the radio uh, really good summertime song uh, my kids love it and uh, and it's a classic because you know the past couple weeks I've been doing some old school you know uh, old school jams but uh, I want to do something new for you uh, this week so um, again you'll find out who these artists are on the next episode in your info where I tell you what the previous uh, podcast uh, music spotlight artist and song was so uh, so hopefully you dig these tunes and uh, other than that, guys, I will catch you uh, this weekend. I will be releasing Batman Returns. And then don't forget to write in for Batman Returns. I have a couple of emails. And then next week I'll be taking off on vacation. Uh, so I can't wait for that. And then the following week uh, I'll be coming back for Batman Forever. And then don't forget at the end of the episode, after the two Spotlight songs, I'll give you guys a bonus clip of the upcoming uh, episode with Jason and me talking some Batman and Robin and tons of other things. So, And, of course, it'll be kind of a cliffhanger, so you won't get any resolution to the end of the clip, which is going to be, uh, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a teaser to kind of get you excited for the Batman and Robin episode. So uh, so that's all I got, guys. Thanks so much. Hopefully you dug the, the new revised edition of Batman 89. I had a blast. Uh, I love I love Batman. He's so awesome. So you guys, uh, you guys take care. Masunas out.
speaking my mind today
But for some reason, he's the only one that's slightly entertaining to watch because he delivers those those lines with so much passion. Whereas George Clooney is just like, yeah, I'm, I'm Batman, whatever, you know, <laughs> but George, but Schwarzenegger, man, he's into it. He believes every line he says. You're not sending me to the cooler. You're not sending me to the cooler. <laughs> oh like he's, he's the only one that seems to be having fun in the whole thing. Oh, so good. Um, all right. So I wrote down just a few of my of my favorite lines from this film. So uh, stop me if you've uh, if you agree with some of these. I got. Uh, so this is why Superman works alone. The Iceman cometh. Uh, that one's priceless. Uh, you're not sending me to the cooler. Uh, you kill them. Yes, yes. Destroy everything. I love that when he just starts yes, to scream. Yes, yes. Destroy yes. everything. Uh, what killed the dinosaurs? Come yeah, <laughs> Oh, man. So good. Uh, watch your numbers, Batman, for they are the harbinger of your doom. They are the harbinger of your doom. Uh, freeze well. Stay cool, bird boy. Oh, so, man, these are so bad. Please, show me some mercy. <laughs> mercy? I'm afraid my condition has left me cold to your pleas of mercy. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's messed up, man. And it's, it is very brave of Christopher Nolan to, to tackle this character because the general public, this is the first and only time they've really been exposed to Bane. And it was terrible. Right. And so he comes in, and I, I would have loved to have been in the room when he tells the studio what he's planning on doing, he's like, I'm going to use Bane. And they're, they probably were like, Oh hell no, you're not right. Like that's, that's a death sentence.